Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John, lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Those of you guys watching at home, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Today we are continuing our summer series that we are calling More Like You. All summer long, we are just devoting uh, an entire summer to life change and what that looks like for us. Scripture, talking about this last week, Scripture says that when you say yes to Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus, a Christian, if you will, um, the Holy Spirit enters your life, takes up residence in your heart, and begins to work uh, in your life, trying to change you to make you look more like Jesus. Now, the evidence of this life change, uh, according to Scripture, is called the fruit of the Spirit. Paul lets us know exactly what the fruit of the Spirit are, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By the end of the summer, you will have these memorized. The best way to think about the fruit of the Spirit is to think of them uh, as though they are the qualities of Christ. When Jesus walked this earth some 2,000 years ago, these are the very qualities that he exemplified or even personified, if you will. Now, while it is true that only God can produce these fruits in our lives, we have a responsibility to work with him to cultivate these fruits. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is each week we are going to examine a specific fruit. Okay, we're going to look at it, we're going to find out what it's all about, and then we're going to find out how we can partner with God to begin cultivating these fruits in our lives, how we can begin to implement these qualities and characteristics in our day-to-day life. So today as we kind of kick off and, and begin digging deep, I want to focus on the first fruit, love. I'll just say this. If there is one word that weaves its way through the entire Bible, I'm talking cover to cover, maps to contents, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, it is this word, love. But what is love exactly? I mean, that seems like a dumb question, seems like an obvious one, but, uh, but honestly, what is love? It's, it's a hugely important question to ask because love is, in my opinion, arguably the most misunderstood word in the world. Part of the problem is that we use love to describe so many different things that we've effectively watered down its meaning. I mean, in my own life, I think about things that I love. I'll say, you know, I love my wife. I love my kid. I love my dog, right? Um, I love Florida. I I love red wine. I I love the suntan. Can't get enough of it. I love Jesus. I love the bread at Dal Contadina restaurant. Okay, there's just like, like, there's so many different ways that we use love that it's really kind of lost its meaning. And the problem is that giving or receiving love is difficult when we don't even understand what it is. So what I want to do first before we kind of dive into Scripture is I want to clear up a couple of misconceptions that we might have about love. So the first thing is most people or many people think that love is a feeling. You get butterflies in your stomach. You're a little giddy when you're around that person. You married folks, you remember what it was like when when you first liked your spouse. (laughs) Now now it's kind of like, could you breathe any louder? Please, okay? So while it is true that love often starts off with a feeling or produces a feeling, according to the Bible, love is actually way more than a feeling. My daughter Charlotte loves to read, or I should say we like to read to her. She's eight months old. One of her favorite books is Feelings, Big and Small. Great book if you haven't read this. Uh, Really good. So each page in this book is just a picture of a baby's face with an accompanying feeling. So it's sad, 
sad or it's mad and it's happy. You get the picture. Well, when the book ends, it, it says that, that of all the feelings in the world, love is the best one of them all. To which I always say, you know, Scripture says love is not a feeling. Okay, my, my wife is like, what is wrong with you? I go, well, you know, train up a child. Just want to make sure she's got all the facts here. So a lot of us think that love is a feeling. Another misconception about love is that love is uncontrollable. Now, you see this even in the most common phrases, like, I fell in love. As though you tripped on something, okay? But, or, or we'll say things like, I can't help it if I'm in love, or, or the opposite. I can't help it if I don't love them anymore. We speak as though love is uncontrollable. However, the Bible's very clear that love is controllable. In fact, Jesus commands that we love one another. We recently looked at this. It'll be familiar to you. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. See, that's not a feeling there. That's command. And then he tells us explicitly how he wants to carry out that command. He says, as I love you, meaning in the manner in which I have loved you, so you must, there it is again, love one another. Jesus' words here clearly indicate that we do have control over whom we love and over whom we do not love. Now, when you begin peeling back the layers, if you will, of what biblical love is, you see two things. The first thing you see is that love is, in fact, a matter of choice. Jesus hands us a command to love others, and you have a choice as to whether you're going to obey that command or not obey that command. Paul runs with this idea of love being a choice when he says this, above all, meaning of most importance, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Some translations, instead of clothe yourself, will say put on love. Paul goes, think about love as though it's an article of clothing, that you can actually make a choice as to whether you're going to wear that article of clothing. If love were really a feeling, you couldn't command it. If love were really a feeling, you couldn't just choose it. But, but we can command a choice, and love, according to Scripture, is a choice. It is controllable. Additionally, the Bible says that love is a matter of conduct. Love is something we do. It's an action. It's not a feeling. So Jesus said, love one another. John said it this way. He said, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, I'm sure many of you have uh, perhaps read Dr. Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. Great book. If you have not read that book, you should read that book. But side note, when I was in school up in North Carolina, he was actually my uh, pastor for all four years. It was incredible to sort of be in the church where he was preaching every Sunday. Anyway, that's a side note. So uh, my love language is acts of service. So this speaks to me. It's this idea that you don't just tell someone you love them. You don't just pay them lip service. You do something to show them that love. Love is a matter of conduct. It's an action. So Jesus commanded Love one another. Now, notice what he did not command here. He did not command that we have warm affection for everyone in our lives. He himself did not have warm affection for the Pharisees, okay? Likewise, we do not have to like everyone, and I think that's a big relief. But we do have to love everyone. So how do we do that? I would argue that the Bible gives us sort of five steps, if you will, that we can take in order to love people like Jesus has called us 
to love. Now, before I kind of get into those five things, I just want to do a, an exercise with you, a little crowd work. We don't normally do this kind of a thing. I want you to raise your hand if there is someone in your life that you just mm, don't like, okay? Just put them up. Don't be bashful. Put it like, okay, get those hands up. If they're not up, I know you're lying, okay? If there's just someone, hey, okay, look around at the hands raised. Keep them raised. Keep those hands up. Okay, now, keep your hands raised. Hold on. Keep them raised. If that person is in the room. No, I put it down. <laughs> okay, just point at them real quick and just say, you know, it's you. I wanted to talk to you about that. As, <laughs> is it me? Okay, sometimes I feel like it's me. Um, as we look at what the Bible says about loving people, I want you to picture that person. Okay, I know you don't want to. I just want to, pi- I want you to picture this, and you know who this person is. Like those hands, some of your hands went up way too fast. I want you to picture that person and how it might be possible to <clears throat> love that person. So the first thing, before we can love this person or any other person in our life, is that we must experience God's love. We must feel and we must understand and comprehend, if you will, how deeply God loves us. Paul said it like this in a letter he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Isn't that great? He says, and may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should. Here it comes. How long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is, and to experience this love for yourselves. God's desire for each and every single one of you is that you would feel his love and that you would understand his love. Why? Why why is it so important that, that we know that we are loved? Because unloved people are unloving people. When you don't genuinely feel loved, you don't feel like giving love. And there have been so many times in ministry where I will encounter someone who's just, you know, rough or antagonistic or, or negative or whatever the case may be. And when I'm talking to them and I'm listening to them, there's something inside of me, and maybe it's the Holy Spirit, I don't really know, but there's something inside of me that wants me to like stop them right in their tracks and go, who hurt you? What's their name? And honestly, one day I'm going to follow the promptings of that. I'm going to ask them just to see what happens. Because I have just seen, I don't know if you've seen this, but I have just seen that when someone is acting in an unloving manner, many, many times it is because they themselves have not been loved. John says it is we that love because God loved us first. If you really want to love other people, you must feel and understand the depth of God's love for you, specifically. Second thing, and this is one of the more familiar things that Jesus said, so if you've been around church any length of time, you've heard this before, but Jesus said you got to forgive your enemies. The second step in learning to love other people is forgiving those people who have hurt you. Paul says this, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, The Lord forgave you, so you must, there's your command, so you must forgive others. Here's the truth. It is impossible, it is impossible to love anyone fully while at the same time resenting somebody else. Which means you cannot fully love your spouse if you are still angry with your parents. 
which means that you cannot really fully love your child if you are angry with a brother. You cannot fully love God when you're still angry with a friend. Jesus said it like this. He said, you know, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar for us, he would say, so if you're going to church one day and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, meaning drop everything you're doing. Go, he says, and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You cannot give total love when your heart is divided and a bitter heart is a divided heart. Let me just talk about some of your hearts right now just for a minute. See, the truth is many people actually have a just cause for their anger. If I heard your story and what you went through, I would say, you know what, you have absolutely every single right to feel the way that you do. And maybe the reason that you yourself are unable to love other people, maybe it's a spouse or whoever, is because of something that was done to you in your past. Maybe it was abuse. Maybe it was some form of, of infidelity in a relationship or in a marriage. And if that was the case, I am just so absolutely sorry that you had to endure that. But, and I say this with the utmost love and the utmost respect. To begin loving people today, you gotta close the door on the past. This, the, this healing, it just cannot happen without forgiveness. You have to forgive those who hurt you for your sake, not because they deserve it. And you hear that and you may say, John, you don't know what you're asking. You just, you don't, you don't, know, what you're ask, you don't know what you're asking. Fine. Let me just ask it this way. How far into the future do you plan to carry the negative energy of your past? All that frustration, all that anger and bitterness and rage and hurt and angst and all of that gunk, how far do you plan to carry all of that into your future? How long do you plan to allow those who mistreated you to influence you? Another week? Another year? Another marriage? How long will you allow your past to dictate how you love in the present? See, the truth is the people from your past cannot continue to hurt you in the present unless you allow them to by holding on to all of that anger. So Jesus would say, forgive them. Forgive them. So your heart can be whole again. The next step in loving others is to Think loving thoughts. So Paul puts it like this in, the, in Philippians. He said, don't just think about your own affairs, right? But be interested in others and, and in what they are doing. So what does it mean to think loving thoughts? It means we begin to focus on other people and what their needs might be and what their hurts might be and what their problems are and their desires are, their goals, not just our own. Doing this will allow you to gain insight into somebody else's life and to what they're dealing with and struggling with and wrestling with. Do you ever hear the phrase, hurting people hurt people? Or hurt people hurt people? There is so much truth to this. If someone is hurting you, okay? If someone is hurting you, chances are that person is doing so because he or she is hurting. Whenever I've had an interaction with somebody where they just kind of 
come at me? You ever have one of those things where somebody just kind of comes at you? Okay. More times than not, I'm telling you, more times than not, it's not about you. It's about them. There's just something going on in their life that's causing them to lash out. What that, ex- you know, what that is, I don't really know. It can run the spectrum from, you know, they're just having a bad day. They haven't had their coffee yet. They had, you know, traffic on the way to, to work or, or all the way towards your very presence. The way that you live your life and the relationship that you have with God puts a spotlight onto something in their life that they are struggling with, that they are trying to avoid, that they are trying to ignore. And so what do they do? They lash out at you. Now, whatever the case might be, that person is hurting. And we need to look behind people's faults to see their needs. And what you'll discover if you haven't already is that sometimes in life the most obnoxious people, like the least lovable people, those are the people who need our love the most. The ones that we try to ignore, we have to walk towards. So the fourth step in loving others is what I'm going to call act in love. You've got to act in love. In other words, you've got to fake it till you make it. Not really, but kind of. What Jesus is about to show us is sort of how to act in a loving manner towards those that you don't, necessarily love or like with the hopes of achieving love. Here's what he says in Luke. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreated you. Imagine being there when he said that for the first time. Maybe you're hearing this for the first. I mean, just think about someone saying this to you. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good to those who hate you. I want you to bless those who curse you. And I want you to pray for those who who mistreated you. He commands us to do four specific things. Let's look at them. First one, love your enemies. How do you love someone who's hurting you? We just covered this. You guys are pros. We got to overlook their faults. Paul said it like this, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Then Jesus commands that you are to do good to those who hate you. How do we do this? Well, we, want, we can try to find ways to, to give to them. What, what can we do to serve them? What can we do to meet their needs? How can we help them? How can we benefit them? Okay, we can go to the extra mile for them. We can offer them practical help. We can offer to do them a favor. We can discover their needs, and we can try to respond to those needs. Let me just tell you something. It is very difficult to be mean to someone when that person is trying to serve you. So, do good to those who hate you. Then Jesus says, bless those who curse you. What does he mean by this, bless those who curse you? Jesus is referring to the way that we talk about and the way that we talk to the very people who treat us poorly. A blessing is a positive word spoken to or a positive word spoken about someone. And as much as your human nature wants to put that person down, okay, wants to be mean to that person, in your new nature with Christ, you are actually to lift that person up. You are to encourage the very person who curses you. Wisest man who ever lived said this, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. You are to bless those who curse you. Finally, Jesus commands that you are to pray for those who mistreated you. 
Now, this is a very interesting command because praying for people will not only change them, but it also changes you. So how do we do this? How, how, How do we pray for somebody who has mistreated you? I'll be honest with you. This is going to feel very unnatural because it is unnatural. But you should actually pray that God will bless those who mistreated you. Why? Because the goodness of God leads to repentance. And perhaps God will bless them to such a degree that they will want to change. But even if they don't change, or even if they don't change right away, praying for them will change your attitude toward that person. So what is Jesus driving at with these four commands? He's showing us that love is, in fact, an action. Paul, in his famous love chapter, if you got married, chances are you read this love chapter at your wedding. Paul said love is patient. Love is kind. He then goes on to list 15 specific actions that are associated with love. And when we act lovingly, when we are patient with someone, when we are gentle with someone, when we are kind to someone, we are displaying the fruits of the Spirit. I would argue that love is not just the first fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit. I would argue that all the other fruits are simply an expression of love. The last step in learning to love other people can prove to be the hardest at times. We've got we to learn how to expect the best from them, even from those people that we do not like. If you were with us a few months back during our prison letter series, this is going to sound slightly familiar because I adapted what Paul is about to show us to speak into our marriages. But when Paul wrote this, what he was really doing was telling us how to act in all of our day-to-day relationships. He said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, if you love someone you will always believe in him and you are always to expect the best of him. Love, Paul would say, always expects the best. Have you discovered in your life that we tend to live up to what people expect of us? For example, the parent who always calls their child an idiot or would always say things like, you know, you never amount to anything is setting that child up for failure. When we expect the best, we bring out the best. This is loving by faith. And loving faith is, 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 is loving by faith is the greatest force in the entire world. Love is contagious. It can change people. Love can transform personality. So you hear this and you might be thinking, gosh, I'd love to change you know, uh, my spouse. I'd love to change my kids. I'd love to change, you know, my brother or, or my sister. You know how to do that? I can tell you how to do it. I can tell you the secret in, in, in one sentence. Here it is. Treat that person the way you want them to become. That's it. This is how you change anyone. Your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your child, your coworker, a friend. Do you want that person to succeed? If you do, then treat them as though they are successful. Do you want your children to be smart? Then treat them as if they are intelligent, not stupid. Now, don't do this as an act of manipulation. Do this because you genuinely believe in them. Do this because you know what God wants to do 
in their life. So because of your love for them, always expect the best. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I would say this. Love is a very easy conversation to have when it's just about feelings, okay? But when you start talking about the biblical definition of love, it gets a lot harder and a lot messier. It's very easy to love people that are lovely. It's very easy to love people that are just like you. But as we talked about last week, God grows and produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives by putting us with people that have characteristics that are the opposite of the fruit that he is trying to produce in you. So with that being said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull up in your mind that person, the one I had you think about at the top of the message. Now, I don't know who this person is for you. Maybe it's an ex. Maybe it's you know, your kid's mom or your kid's dad or uh, as a sibling or a coworker. Fine. But when you think about loving that person, you might say, John, I just, I just don't know if I can do that. Let me tell you something. You If you could have, you would have. That's why this kind of love is a fruit of the Spirit. Only God's power can do this. What Jesus has called you to do, you can never do on your own. So let me tell you about the power of God made available to every single person who has said yes to Jesus. Paul starts off by saying, I, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Then he says, I pray that you, will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. He keeps using this word power. And in the Greek, when Paul wrote this, he wrote the word dunamis, our word for dynamite. Paul is saying God wants to give you dynamite power so that you can change your life. God wants to give you dynamite power so that you can change the way that you live. Paul, God wants to give you dynamite power so that you can change the way that you love. So knowing that Jesus has called us to put love into action, that he has commanded us to love one another, knowing that Jesus has now given us dynamite power to cultivate this love, what is one step that you can take to love that person? Now remember, Jesus is not calling you to like this person. You may never like this person. But he is commanding you to love them. So what is one choice, just one choice, that you can make today or tomorrow or this week to just move in their direction? And I know your inclination forever long is to take a step back from them. What would it look like to take a step towards them? Maybe for you in that situation, maybe you need to forgive them so that your heart can be whole. Maybe for you, you need to kind of pour into their life and, and find out what's going on. How are you hurting? Is there a way that I can sort of help meet those needs? 
And I think all of us need to pray for that person. And as we begin to follow God's plan for loving other people, we will find love beginning to grow in our hearts and to grow in our lives. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you that you invented love. It truly is a blessing. God, I pray that those of us here today who do not know your son Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior might today begin to feel and understand the very love that you have for them. That you love them so dearly that you sent your son to die on their behalf while they still hated him. And that because of his love for us, we would be made right with you. And because of his love for us, we can love others. Lord, there are so many people on our paths that we can show love to. And many of us, God, have people that have been placed in our life that not only do we not love, we don't even like them. But Lord, they are there for a reason. You have planted people and situations in our lives to grow the fruit of the Spirit in us. And I pray that today you would give us the strength not to walk away from this command, but to walk towards it that you would allow us to tap into that dunamis, that power, that dynamite made available to us by Jesus and his resurrection to do the very things that you've called us to do. Help us to forgive. Help us to love. And by doing so, we can change. Others can change. And this world can change. Make us look different, Lord. Make us look more like you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name.